0: G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz and this is episode number 86 of the Outback Mine podcast. Appreciate you joining in once more. We have a really special guest on today, uh, Richmond legend hall of famer um 297 games uh geez, multiple brass uh, multiple uh, best and fairest awards all australian uh wayne campbell wayne campbell is a a man from Oyen in uh, regional or country victoria in the Wimmera alley in uh, my neck of the woods and um yeah uh, wayne and i uh had a chat recently and uh yeah i actually didn't realize he was from we sweat so a, a bit of a yak about that and uh, about the uh, the country life and so forth. So he's he's pretty passionate about it, and uh, has some fond memories about uh, about growing up uh, in the bush before he uh, went to Bendigo and then got taken in the draft in '89 to go to Richmond, and um, yeah, pretty much the rest of his history. Uh, you know, geez, fifteen or sixteen years uh, in the AFL as a player, um, assistant coach at the Western Bulldogs and GWS. So pretty much made a career out of football. He's now still working in football, but uh, at a lower level. So. We're going to talk all about that, a bit about mental health in the football game, um, him leaving GWS uh, a couple of years ago and how, what sort of went on around that and everything in between. So I'm really uh, yeah, grateful for Wayne uh, to offer up coming along and having a chat uh, to share his journey and wisdom and I'm sure you're going to get a lot from this uh, conversation. I uh, just want to make special mention to our partners, primary partners, Green Nutritionals, Green Organic Superfoods. That they provide, if, you, if you're lacking something in your diet or you, you're missing something, check out their website because they provide um, really organic, potent, um, natural superfoods. So no synthetics like you usually get with um, traditional vitamins and minerals that you get from the chemist and much better for us. Uh, so I really uh, encourage you to check out their site, support them, greennutritionals.com.au. Also Pure Life Organic Sprouted Bakery. So they supply gr- uh, breads in which the grains are sprouted and when grains are sprouted our digestion works a lot better it doesn't bloat us like normal bread does so uh their breads are available all around the country so i really encourage you to check out their website purelifebakery.com.au all right uh sit back and listen to why uh, i am wayne going at, uh, at this one i'm sure you're going to get uh, a lot from this conversation wayne campbell welcome to the outback mind podcast
1: Hey Aaron. How you going,
0: buddy? Very good, mate. Um, lockdown in Sydney. Uh, you telling me it's not uh, not too pleasant at the moment down there, by the sounds of it. Uh,
1: no, 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 no. But we can't um, we can't complain because most of the most of the country's under the same conditions. So yeah, we had, yeah. We had we had a pretty lucky in uh, twenty twenty, I reckon, in Sydney. But um, we we drew the short straw in twenty twenty one. So yeah,
0: I'm sure. Everyone will get a get a bit of a crack at it at some point in time, but. Uh, it's got to keep riding, riding the bumps, mate, I suppose, don't we? It's
1: all we can do, isn't it? Yep. Look, it. look forward and make the most of each day and all that. But, um, yeah, it's becoming a, it's certainly becoming a bit monotonous. I think the first one was a, something a little bit different and we hadn't seen it before or whatever, but 18 months in, it's getting a bit harder for people for yeah,
0: sure. Great. You're, you're a very positive man, mate, and I think we're going to we're gonna touch on that um, more and more as we go through the chat. But really, um, you know, grateful to, to, you know, have this chat and... Um, I reckon uh, a lot of people wouldn't realise that you were actually brought up in the in the Wimmera Mallee in Ouyen.
1: Yeah, born in Ouyen, mate. Little uh, little country town in the far north of Victoria, in the uh, in the heart of the Mallee. Um, so, five hundred odd k north of Melbourne, and 100 one hundred kilometres on the dot uh, due south of um, of Mildura. Mildura. So, very 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 straight road between Ouyen and Mildura. Not overly exciting, but um, yeah. So, lived was about twelve years of age, mate.
0: So yeah, so you spent all your, your primary school there and, and probably wasn't famous for vanilla slices back then like it is now, but um, <laughs> no, so, no, no, no. Uh, a lot of people I... drive to Ayan to, to get a vanilla slice, but uh, I wasn't one of them, but um, mate, uh, yeah, interesting, what, what, uh, what do you remember about your upbringing back there, what were some of the, the things that sort of uh, stick out for you, uh, you know, thinking back for, as, as a young fella?
1: Yeah, like uh, like most country towns, it was sort of full of full of sport, and um, you know either the footy club or the cricket club or the basketball. Um, my old man actually started up a soccer club, Oian Oian Town, I think it was called. He was a, he was a Scotsman, so mm. he started up a footy club, which uh, which a uh, soccer club, which wasn't overly successful, by the way. I don't <laughs> think. Um, <laughs> you but reckon? it was sort of so, sort of, sort of based around the sport and um, and, the, and the farming communities. We were in the town, so. I can't say. Uh, I can't say I was a farm boy, mate. That's, uh, that wasn't my go. But also had lots of uh, family around Ouyen, but also up at Robinvale, up at Weeman, uh, up on the Murray. So they were on a bit of land. So I used to spend probably just as much time up there as what I did in Ouyen.
0: Yeah, you would have been uh, up on the river and maybe riding a motorbike or tour around up there. I would have thought
1: yeah 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 i had a my my cousins at McMonnies. they had a, a a farm on the on the bend at the murray river there at Weeman. Um, mm-hmm. just a uh, 20k out of um out of robinvale so no they had the two wheeler had the four wheeler so we used to used to zip up there for most school holidays mate and yeah. Um, yeah i loved my time up there
0: beautiful spot and there would have been a few grazed knees in that i'd imagine as well but um it's all all part of it um mate, um why why did you all men end up in the you know, in
1: uh, so he was on the railways. Uh, yeah, came out as a sort of 12, 13-year-old from Scotland with his parents, uh, got a job on the railways as a training examiner, did an apprenticeship there and spent his whole time um, on the railways, retired when he was 60-odd. Didn't do a whole lot of work in, be- in that 40 years, by the way. Um, mm. But he, uh, he he passed away a couple of years ago. But no, he went up to uh, Oyen on a on a, um, on a work thing and um, was there. He met my, my mum. My mum was born in Colwyn, so just out of uh, and yeah. So they... They got together and um, yeah, that was uh, that was sort of the late sixties.
0: Unreal, mate. Um, do you have brothers and sisters in that uh, that were obviously brought up there with you or anything? Yeah, you? yep. Yeah,
1: two two older brothers, mate. So two older brothers and played a bit of footy too.
0: And none of them in the community. Still, they've all moved on.
1: Uh, yeah, one brother overseas and one brother in melbourne yeah so okay. no that's uh, got got some cousins still up there um bit of family but um but uh, my my immediate family moved away yeah we moved to moved to bendigo when i was in year uh year six um and then spent uh, spent the high school years in bendigo and then uh, then moved to melbourne after that
0: that would have been a bit of a culture shock coming from a small school in a country town into a big big uh, community like bendigo
1: yeah, I always think I had a nice little transition. Living in um, living in Ouyen, and I think my first day of primary school, I would have worked, walked to school by myself or with my, with my older brothers, um, but without you know, mum and dad. Mm. Um, and then uh, to spend that first sort of you know twelve years of my life in this little country town with uh, you know with the cousins with the farm up the road and all that sort of stuff, and then to move to Bendigo, which I think at that stage had fifty eight thousand uh, mm. people, so it was certainly a um, it wasn't the metropolis of melbourne but it was a you know a bigger city obviously as compared to owen so to then you know spend six years there and then move to melbourne um yeah i always think i had this nice little nice little ramp up of the small country town into the provincial city into the into the big smoke of melbourne so mm, it's um, uh, it, i think it, i think i liked it it
0: was a yeah, pretty good transition coming from you know a few thousand to fifty odd and then you know a few million. so it sort of worked out pretty well for you i reckon mate um what drew you to footy? So you were playing footy in primary school in Oyen, and obviously you went to Bendigo and uh, and stepped into it pretty well there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just uh, as I said, mate. Like like most country um country boys and and girls now, you you sort of just play footy. And um, my my two elder brothers played footy. It was Oyen's pretty famous for um, the team that is now I think Oyen United. If you if you. Follow the family tree back. I think it sort of branched back from about thirty-two different teams, or something like that number. So, <laughs> yes. I, I played for a, a team called Taija, which um, which then merged with a with a team called Kiamel. So they were very very small. Oh, you can't even call them towns. They were little villages outside of Oyun. Mm. Um and they then merged to become Oyun Rovers, and then yeah, lots of other little other teams came into to to, 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 uh, to Oyun Rovers to be, become Oyun United. So. Mm yeah just played played footy mate it was uh, you know you're playing you play under 13s which is the you know 7 minutes at half time, or 14 minutes 7 minutes each way at half time with the seniors yeah, um, that's right remember um,
0: that
1: and then I, and then i think my i think probably the last year so I would have been grade 6 i was i was playing under 16s as well so Jeez. there were some, some big some bigger some bigger boys so I, I tried to keep out of the way of them but um, <laughs> i think i think i only played one year of that of the under 16s and then yeah moved to Bendigo after that
0: You obviously, like, had a a bit of talent as a young fellow and um, uh, that was probably fairly evident, um, you know, in your your early years. Like, when you got to Bendigo, like, going into footy there, was that sort of recognised uh, early on?
1: Um, Oh, I think I was okay, mate. Yeah, yeah, played under-13s, under-15s. Probably, I broke my elbow... um, you know, I was probably one of the better players but not you know not not the best player in the team I don't think I broke my elbow in one year 13 or 14 so I missed, missed a fair bit of the year um, and then I, I played for a I played for a school Morris brothers I actually didn't go to the school but I played for them for a couple of years <laughs> and then you came out of that and I was going to play under under 18s for golden Square um, Remember them? I decided but decided to do a bit of a pre-season with the seniors because the, the under-18s weren't um, starting training yet. And I must have, yeah, must have went okay. And then so sort they of decided to give me a game in a practice game and then I went okay. And, yeah, so I ended up, um, ended up playing in the seniors that year uh, and then got drafted at the end of that year. Um, so probably, you know, it wasn't until then that I, you know, thought that maybe I could play, I suppose. But even once I got drafted and went to Melbourne... Um, I stayed. Sorry, I stayed in, in Bendigo to do Year Twelve. So it was drafted at the end of '89, but spent 1990 doing HSC Bendigo High, uh, and then went down after that. And I, even at that stage, um, I was really going to Melbourne, probably 50% to study and 50% to play footy. So because you just you, know, you don't know, you don't know whether you're going to get a go, you don't know whether you're any good or anything like that. So um, probably was not until you know being at Richmond for, for a year or so, that I worked out you know maybe I probably could play, and it might become a career.
0: You. Uh... <laughs> you're pretty blessed you obviously had some self-discipline back then and when when you think about it you would have seen examples of young fellas um, like I did that were really talented but they lacked the self-discipline they maybe didn't have the you know the mentoring from their parents or the 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 direction from their parents and they sort of went off the rails a little bit Um, can you remember anyone like without naming people or you know up to you if you do um, with regards to you know who you might have looked up to as a young fellow that sort of Didn't quite make it, or had the ability to make it, but never actually pursued it, or never, never had the discipline to 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 take it further.
1: Yeah, no, no one really comes to mind, mate. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not as, not as convinced. There's that many stories of those. I think we all, you know, think, and I've heard the stories about the the country guy who would have been good enough, but you know, drank a bit too much or whatever. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not as convinced that that's there as prevalent as what we what we make out there are, and and probably. I mean, one of the one of the things you got to have you're going to have to have is discipline and to, to play footy. So if you, you know, if you happen to you know is it because you drink too much or whatever, well once you get to an AFL club, um, if you don't have the discipline, you're not going to make it anyway. So unless mm-hmm. they unless they turn themselves around pretty quickly, so um, I, AFL footy is a pretty demanding profession, and unless you apply yourself to it 100. percent yeah, and 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 you've also got to have some physical attributes and some skill as well. So, um, I, I'm sure I'm sure there's you know the odd one out there that you know could have made it but but didn't. But yeah, I think it's um, if you're good enough and you have a bit of a go, you, you'll get an opportunity to to have a crack at it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Um... I guess it's changed a lot, obviously, uh, now than what it was like back then. There's much, you know, different pathways and obviously more clubs and so forth about than what there was in, you know, 89, 90 and so forth. But what sort of struck you uh, when you got to the club there? Like, who were some of the people that maybe took you under their wing and and were you able to sort of keep up with the demands that they sort of put upon you pretty early on? Yeah, I was, but I was...
1: I was lucky on a couple of fronts, I reckon. One, I'd come from a pretty good club in Golden Square. Um, we, My first year, we won the Premiership, and the second year, we played in the grand final and got beaten. So, it was a pretty successful club. Um, I came into a club that wasn't going as well, um, and, and it was really part-time. I mean, most clubs in 1991 would have been part-time. Um, Richmond certainly was. So, it was... You know, it was three training uh, in three training sessions a week. You know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at five o'clock. So, mm. the professionalism and the demands of it were you know really um, insignificant as compared to what they are now. So, mm. probably the jump of coming from um, country footy into AFL footy wasn't wasn't as big as what it is now. I mean, I know that the pathways are better and they prepare you better and everything like that. But to go into an AFL club now and train full-time and five days of work and six days a week that sort of thing I think the jump's probably bigger than what I experienced um and 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 Richmond weren't much good truth be told um Mm. so so maybe I mean maybe it's easier to get a game and and play some senior footy there as well so um Mm. yeah I, I mean people have often sort of asked I was quite driven and why but I've never I don't really know why I think my mum was a really hard working humble person and um, she made sacrifices and was disciplined and all sorts of stuff. So I, I, I assume I learnt a fair bit from her. But mm-hmm. I kind of just got on with it once I got down
0: there. Yeah, mate. So uh, really interesting. Like thinking back, 1990. That's when Collingwood won the the grand final. How how uh, how did Richmond fare that year? Did you play uh, seniors in that first year? And who were some of the guys that, um, that that may have maybe looked after you or sort of you know guided you? Um, you know to, to sort of settle in. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I went to the ninety grand final. I took one of my mates, uh, Greg Chant, uh, from who a, a, was a schoolmate, down to the ninety grand final as a guest of Richmond. Mm. And then, uh, and then my first year was ninety one. Yeah, I played. I played twelve games in my first year. I think I probably played four or five in the in the reserves first, and then played ten games. And I think I got dropped a couple of times, and then you know played a couple of games at the back end as well. So. Mm. Uh, I don't know where we finished, mate, but it certainly wasn't in the top eight yeah. or six or five or whatever it was back then. But um, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have won too many games, I don't think. Uh, Craig, Craig Lambert was the one that always came to mind, who you know really wrapped his arms around me and took me to training and taught me how to train hard and everything like that. Um, mm. He had a he had a boxing coach, Ray Giles, that he used to go to in pre season. He took me along to a couple of those sessions, which was which was great. Mm. Jeff Jeff Hog was the captain at the time. And he was a he was a really um, really good leader who, you know, took people under his wing and was a you know, pretty friendly sort of affable sort of guy. So I was, yeah, I was pretty lucky to have some, some you know, older experienced guys there. Not, I mean, we, we had Dale Waitman who was the, you know, he was the older generation. Uh, he was there for probably the first couple of years, 91, 92. Might have played 93. Um, but then there was probably a pretty big gap to then the Knights and Lambert and Hogg and these sort of guys. So um, And then there was a, a whole sort of younger crew under, underneath that.
0: Any indigenous players around back then when you when you arrived? Oh,
1: uh, I, I was I was really disappointed, mate, because I Michael Mitchell got dropped uh, for me to come in. So, um, uh, uh, which I, I loved. I was a Richmond supporter growing up, um, and I loved Michael Mitchell. So it was sort of a bit. <laughs> it was a bit I was rapt to get a game, but I, I couldn't believe that Michael Mitchell got dropped for me to come in. Uh, Phil Egan. Uh, Phil Egan was from Robinvale, so he was good mates with my cousin. Yeah, um,
0: remember
1: them? But he, but he was. Um, he was gone at that stage he wasn't playing in 91 I reckon he might have finished up late 80s maybe even 1990 mm.
0: yeah yeah look there probably wasn't a lot back then uh, I guess compared to now but uh, yeah certainly we talk a lot about this podcast of you know the challenges that indigenous guys sort of went through from the Crackers and uh, yeah. know, all that through you know it was pretty challenging for them. I reckon
1: yeah yeah well Andy Cracker came later in my career probably 2000 so I've been there 10 years and yeah, I had a really good, really good relationship with Andy, but um, he uh, he was a he was a great teammate, and yeah, before that we had Richard Richard Tambling, um, yeah. well, sorry after that Richard Tambling as well, but yeah, we uh, we didn't have as many Indigenous players as maybe some other clubs did.
0: Yeah, it's good to see it evolving, and you know I did um, I did hear from Eddie Betts just recently, and uh, apparently he was on the um oh one of the afl 360s or whatever it's called but still racism is going on quite heavily in football now and uh you know he's certainly trying to do what he can to change that and i i want to do what i can to you know be able to raise awareness um through this podcast and and just help uh people understand that we we need to have the utmost, utmost respect for the indigenous guys but also to you know like really uh, avoid that sort of uh, thinking and behaviour because it's really redundant now. It it always has been and should never have happened in the first place, I suppose.
1: Yep, yep, yep. No, they're beautiful people who have added so much to our country and so much to our game and um, listening to Eddie speak and watching the pain on his face when he has to confront it Mm. on a daily basis or a weekly basis that he has to, um, it, um, it, it boggles your mind as to why anybody would want to hurt someone like him or you know, really anyone because mm. we're all at the, end of the day we're just people but um someone like him that's provided so much joy and happiness to people um mm. I, I, I really don't understand why you would wouldn't want to just make him happy
0: you know yeah so. yep. certainly um, my, sorry one go ahead World's full of strange people mate. well it is and, and, and i see that behavior with compassion you know they're, they're people that aren't really well you know, aware or conscious of their own um, own feelings and emotions and so forth, and at the same time, uh, you know, they haven't probably had the ability to be able to, um, you know, get to know themselves really well, and they're sort of looking to uh, to find some temporary happiness by by you know making a remark, and and that's disappointing. So you know, those people that are making those remarks, I don't believe, need punishment. Although there is some discipline required, but there's also a lot of education that needs to go into to. to know them to to make them or not make them but help them um, become a bit more self-aware and i just think that's the way we're going to have to go to um you know to i wouldn't say stamp this out but certainly you know make it um a distant memory in the future because really uh you know, i still can't believe it's still going on now so
1: yeah certainly the you know the education process but also the amount of indigenous players that are now at AFL clubs and You know, you love all your teammates, but again, as I said before, the Indigenous players bring such a a diverse range of skills and culture and everything that, um, you know, you can't help but gravitate towards them. So Mm. I think that's probably what hurt Eddie the most when um, obviously the the, the most recent incident happened because someone like a Taylor Walker that's been in the the system for 14 or 15 years has been through that education and still was able to mutter, you know, such a, a... an abhorrent term so it must be incredibly frustrating for those people
0: yeah, yeah yeah it's a lack of consciousness and yeah you gotta you gotta see it with this uh with sympathy and um yeah compassion i, I guess you know it, it is a shame but uh that's male ego coming out in its essence i guess so mate's um really interesting you know with your journey through footy you probably didn't play in a lot of finals but it would have been uh a fairly good acknowledgement to be able to become captain of such a, you know, a well-known, recognised and prestigious club. Uh, you know, when you did get to that stage.
1: Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was certainly the highlight of my career. Um, to be uh, thought upon to be, um, you know, someone who uh, had uh, the skills to be able to captain, you know, not only the team but the club. But I, yeah, I, again, it wasn't something that I relished or. or or cherished or wanted or anything like that, but it's sort of just come along and I think if at the end of the day if you just, you know, keep moving forward and keep learning and keep growing and, you know, things like that will, will come along if you've got the if you've got the skills and attributes and ability to be able to do it. So mm-hmm. um, when it was handed to me it was a it was a wonderful thing and yeah, I really I really cherished it. I, I saw it as a, a real responsibility. Um, it's nice to have the title and everything like that, but with the title comes you know, enormous responsibility to look after your, look after your teammates and be the conduit between the coaches and the and the players and, and the administration. So it was a it was a role that I took really seriously, and it does take a, it it sort of saps you of energy. But I think I think it suited me because I think I became you know or I don't know whether I became a better player, but I maybe become a more rounded player, and it certainly didn't hurt my form. So. I liked. Uh, I think I liked the responsibility as well, but yeah, certainly that was the yeah that was the highlight of my career.
0: And you would have been full time back then, like not not sort of working or studying part time. year, football would have been a full time gig.
1: Yeah, I was. So I started in '91, and in '95, which was one of my one of my better years, I I was working at a radio station, uh, doing sort of helping out producing a breakfast show. So I would I'd roll into there about six am uh, and work there till twelve, and then I. Got a job at Channel 7 as well, um, and I was producing a, a Friday night – well, not producing, but sort of helping out, researching a, a Friday night footy show. Mm. So I'd then drive over there about 12.30 and then go to training at 5, you know, doing that sort of four and five times a week, and the, the show was on a Friday night, so I'd be in there till sort of 10 o'clock at night and then, you know, playing footy on the weekend. So Jeez. that was 1995. And then the, 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 the full-time professional era, it, did, it didn't just click over from sort of, you know, 95 to 96, it became – your main training session on a Tuesday or Wednesday wasn't five o'clock, it was four and then it was three and then it was two. And then, you know, and then you went another day and then there was a day off and all that sort of stuff. So mm. probably between 95 and 2000, maybe um, it became a bit more professional. But still, I, I owned um, with, with my with my two brothers and another mate, we owned a pub in Richmond. So uh, we bought that in 1998. So I finished studying in ninety-seven, ninety-eight. came out of the doing the radio and the tv stuff so that the pub was always there to go and do some workout if i wanted to to mm. serve a beer or take some palmers out to some table or something like that so yeah. i probably always had something on the go
0: yeah mate interesting um just going back a bit like some of the captains that you actually played under i can't think from memory who was about back then but um uh sort of who was who was sort of there three years uh, sort of 10 or 15 years before you sort of got the gig
1: Yes, I know I had a few, so Dale Waitman was the captain when I first got there, who um, was a Mildura boy, obviously, uh, and I was an Oyan boy, so yeah, he, was, uh, he, he was he he was, was always uh, fantastic for me. Uh, Jeff Hogg, who I spoke about, so he was captain for probably two or three years, um, and then Matthew Knights took over in, no. uh, sorry, Tony Free, Tony Free, who was another, so he was a Swan Hill boy, so he wasn't too far from Oyan either, and then Matthew Knights took over <coughs> um, oh, really? from
0: him, awesome being a Mildura boy, so
1: yeah and then I got it and then I handed it to Kane Johnson who uh, who I'd become a really good friend uh, friend of as well. So Unreal. yeah, I was lucky enough to play uh, play under some really good, really good players, really good leaders and and, and good people.
0: Mm incredible mate isn't it when you think back and you know I, I always watched you guys and it wasn't until like 2016 that richmond really changed but you're always there about finishing sort of eighth or ninth or whatever and not being able to to move through why do you think that you couldn't take the next step what, what was sort of holding you back was it like a self-belief thing or what was uh what was really your your observation of it all
1: um oh i probably i mean I, I didn't realise it at the time. I mean, it's ultimately it's a lack of talent um, across the board um, and then it's, you know, really, really good coaching and really good administration. That's, that's what makes good clubs successful over a longer period of time. So mm. we were just never able to keep the off-field... Um, administration and coaching at a high enough level and stable enough for a long enough period of time we did it for bits and pieces there was a bit with john northy from sort of 93 to 95 and then john left and some administration changes there and then we had it with danny frawley through sort of 2000 to 2002 three and then again there was some administration changes and some you know and then danny danny um stopped coaching as well so mm. yeah the, the, the good clubs mate they just have the, the consistent off-field stability um of, of really quality people so Mm. Over, over, over my time And in the uh, in the 10 years prior to that During the 80s after the 82 grand final There was a different coach each year From you know, 83, 84, 85, 86 So if you're changing coach each year um, Yeah you're not going to have the success on field you're not going to have stability off, um, off field which which translates to on field so yeah. over that over that period mate you don't end up with the good enough players because you haven't recruited the right tops and then you haven't developed them well enough
0: mm, yeah very much like business and uh, and so forth as well you've got to have that uh, that structure and the support underneath you and you know, just uh getting off subject a little bit but uh, we're going to talk about mental health as we go along here but um you, you had Danny Frawley uh, involved, um, you know, with a, with a fair chunk of your career there. Um, you know, I, I believe, obviously, you know, he, he had some issues later on, but he was such a, a vibrant, um, soul of the earth type guy from the country and so forth. And um, uh, it would just be really interesting to hear, you know, your experience with him and, uh, and some of the things you might have taken away from your time um, back in the early 2000s while he was around.
1: Yeah, he was a... Um first and foremost he was just a leader no no matter no matter where you went with Danny there was 20 people standing around him you know whether that was in the training sheds or whether that was out in the ground or whether that was you went to the races and he was at a car park and you know he's just a real people person who Mm. knew lots of people just through talking to them so you know, there's many, many different forms of leadership, but he was, you know, St. Kilda's longest-serving captain, and you knew why, because he was just from a very young age, he was able to talk to talk to a whole uh, vast array of people on a on lots of different levels, so. Mm. I was you know, incredibly fortunate to be coached by him. He was the one that chose me to be captain, so I'll, I'll be forever in his debt for that. Mm. Uh, and then, yeah, we, we became really good friends, both with, with my wife and I, with Danny and Anita. We used to spend a lot, of, a lot of time together, and it sort of just in the end didn't work out. I think he was, a, I think he was a really good coach, and again, I think we probably let him down as a club in, with not putting the right support around him. Um, mm. But did 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 we see mental health problems there? No, I mean he's the the classic sort of country guy that you think well he won't have mental health problems but then maybe you go well maybe some of the um i won't say quieter because he wasn't that but more reserved you know types who don't want to talk about their feelings is that is that does that come back um to to haunt them later on i think he i think he obviously got sacked from richmond um and that that would have hurt him i think because he probably had a lot of success up until then um he was a champion player. He was a champion leader. He was a great assistant coach. He became coach of Richmond. He had some really good success early days, taking us to a final series and a preliminary final. And then, you know, two or three years later, he's he's been told he's not good enough to be a coach. So that would have hurt him a little mm, bit. But
0: definitely.
1: yeah, it was um, a- absolutely tragic circumstances after that.
0: Mm, yeah, mate. Um, certainly, look, it's it's still common now uh, with regards to guys. You know, taking that that particular uh, measure, but. Um, you know that's why i guess i'm trying to do what i can to, to to help raise awareness uh about that and you know to help people understand that there's that there's other other ways to, to to move through these things you know just getting off the subject again um um wayne I, I run like a men's circle here and i have for the last few years back in horsham and and then in tassie when i was down there but you know it's been amazing since i've been i live up in queensland now but amazing since i started this here but like we go through this process every second Monday and like guys just have an opportunity to offload. And then we yeah. support each other. You know, we, it doesn't matter what's going on, good or bad, whatever it is, we actually are able to talk about what, whatever it is in its smallest essence or its largest essence. And you now last night there was a guy there with a really major issue and everyone wrapped their arms around him, you know, and he left a, a different person than what he did when he arrived. And, I just believe that that community, that support is, is so necessary. And I reckon Danny would have felt quite isolated you know, after he was sacked, but also maybe that could have triggered things that um, you know that took him to, to where he was later on. And I guess as guys, we don't really have the uh, self-awareness and the ability to be able to understand uh, our emotions and, and how they're popping up and why they're popping up and then be able to you know, maybe manage our nervous system more effectively so we can become a little bit... Um, more grounded on a daily basis, so that can keep us, uh, you know, in check rather than sort of getting um, swept away with all the, uh, you know, the negativity which takes us into depression and all the, uh, the tension which takes us into anxiety. And uh, with all the all the changes, you know, you were born in seventy two and I was born in seventy one. All the changes we've seen over our lifetime, and Danny was a bit older you know, uh, it's not easy for us to actually accept sometimes that life was so simple uh, back then, but now it's so so busy and complicated now. We've got a lot of stimulation and things that get in our road. And um, yeah, it can be quite challenging to be a man in modern society. But I just think if we can learn the tools and, and practices that help us, you know, stay balanced and grounded and stable, then that can really be a preventative measure, which can um, help um, you know mental imbalance and obviously uh, ultimately suicide uh, in the end would you agree
1: yeah i think that i'm no expert in the area but i think that certainly the world's become more complex and there's more um, challenges and uh, issues that we're confronted with but we're also due to you know the work of people like yourself and Having been inside football clubs over the last sort of ten years, the work that they do to um, provide an environment that is so safe and um, safe but challenging, and allowing people to just um, to show their emotions, to to talk, to provide a platform an avenue for them um, to share their you know successes, their failures, their whatever. I just I just watched um, David Asprey uh, announce his retirement, and I just watched the video of him talking to the to the players and. Um, he's a guy that I had a fair bit to do with early days and really, really like him and he's a great person, he's a good country boy, he's a good footballer, he's a rich man, all that sort of stuff. But um, to watch him talk there for 15 minutes and pretty much cry for 14 of the minutes and mm. uh, it to be so acceptable for him to, um, you know, pour his heart out and tell the people in the room how much he loved them and how much he's going to miss them, I, I'm, I'm not sure that speech happens 30 years ago. Um, mm. And I think... Uh, I think most, I mean, Richmond are known for their connection and their ability to, um, you know, put their feelings out there, but I think most footy clubs are like that now. So Mm. whilst the world has become more complex and harsh in some ways, I think there's just so many avenues there to to, to make sure that we are talking to each other and providing each other with um, an ability to get stuff off our chests. So that that doesn't mean that it's easy by any stretch, but there's more avenues now compared to what there was 30 years ago.
0: Oh, no doubt. Well, talk about that transition, you know, with Richmond because I've been fascinated about it and, uh, and, and there's a few, few people that have come on the podcast and spoken about it and Shane McCurry is going to come on soon to let us know what he did to make those changes or help make those changes. But when you come out of football, um, was it a big shock, you know, as a player just sort of coming back into mainstream life? Um, I, I,
1: was, I was lucky and, again, just listening to David, he... Um... It was a bit the same as me. Like he, he just looks like he's done. He said, "I'm done," and, and I was the same. I, the club were keen for me to play again, which again I think just I don't know makes it easier that it's your decision. I, I I think that's probably the case. Um, but I was yeah, I was physically and mentally gone, and I and I'd put everything I could into it, and I sort of always say I loved every minute of it. Um, but I couldn't do it for another minute. Um, mm-hmm. because it is so so demanding. Um. So I was satisfied with what I'd done. I didn't have any regrets, other than you know, the obvious one of not having not having team success, and uh, and and was lucky enough to be sort of moving into another phase in my life, which uh, Sarah and I got married in then November after we after i retired uh, and then we went overseas for 12 months so there was sort of this natural break in a barrier um and it also allowed me 12 months to go you know what am i going to do with the rest of my life which you know, i didn't i didn't work out and still haven't by the way
0: um
1: so i yeah i was really i mean i'll say i was fortunate maybe i set it up that way um but no when you say was it a shock no i, I was you know i was very different um the life of a non-footballer versus a footballer but i really liked it so that made it a bit easier
0: Mm. oh absolutely mate i I think you you got back into it pretty quickly and and just on that you were so lucky to take a year off um yeah a lot of guys don't get the chance to cool their heels like that you know Uh, you know you go straight from school into work and you got a pathway of 40 years before you get a chance to have a real break so that would have been an awesome experience for you yeah yeah
1: and i think i I think also I'd been with Sarah for a long time and wanted to give some time back to her. And, yeah, so we we had this honeymoon that we'd planned for a long time and it was, yeah, it was... um, Football is really demanding and I I think... um, I I had some talent, but I needed to work really, really hard to get the best out of myself. Um, Mm -hmm. So... With that comes enormous sacrifice and not being able to do lots of stuff that you want to do, which is go out and you know, eat nice food and drink beer and wine and all that sort of stuff. So I probably sacrificed a fair bit. So I needed to allow myself a, a year just to just to take it easy and, and, and have some of those liberties. So mm. um, yeah, it was just a, as I said, it was a nice natural sort of barrier that if I had of you know, stayed in Melbourne and got I don't know, worked or whatever, you know, would I have missed it a bit more? I don't know, but I certainly didn't I didn't I certainly didn't miss it.
0: Mm, yeah, mate. You you rocked up at the Bulldogs at a pretty good time, I think, was it two thousand and
1: seven? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I came back and decided that I would um, have a go at footy. I, I sort of always thought I was more administratively minded, um, more so than coaching, but I thought, you know, down the track if I was gonna go into administration, having done some coaching wouldn't, you know, wouldn't harm my chances of being a better administrator. So I had a go at coaching. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, but I, I spent two years at the Bulldogs under Rodney E, which I just loved. Uh, we went okay in 07 and then 08 made a, uh, made a prelim, which was wonderful. And then got the opportunity to go back and coach at Richmond. And yeah, I really like the coaching stuff, but, um, uh, Terry Wallace left and there was an opportunity to go for the job and I just couldn't and I so, so I wouldn't have got the job anyway when Damien Harvard came but even if I did I would have stuffed it up because I wouldn't have been anywhere near as good as what Damien Harbour uh, was and, and and has gone on to be um, so from that moment on once I saw how good a coach he was I was like no I don't, I don't think that's for me so then I sort of changed the, the original tact which was to, to do a bit more administration so mm. changed a bit of my focus from there.
0: Unreal. And um, yeah, so there was a bit of a journey there and obviously GWS come on the scene and um, you sort of landed a bit of a gig there with them. Well, I reckon that would have been pretty exciting, um, sort of getting involved in that program and obviously the, the talent that they had access to and just the excitement around forming a club that was new and um, in a new location that, uh, that basically had the, the world at its feet, I would have thought.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was, um, yeah, I went, so from Richmond I went to the AFL and ran the umpiring department, so then got an opportunity to you know, to run a department and do a bit more administration and um, that. So then, yeah, we got the opportunity to, to go to the Giants, which is a big, big, um, big move to move the family to Sydney. I had two girls by then. Um, yeah, so there's some, I mean, there's, people look at the Giants and go, well, they've been given everything, but and they had some talent, but there's also some some, uh, some some disadvantages of being you know in the, in the west of Sydney and you're a long way away and you've got to travel 13 times and you've got to do all that sort of stuff as well. So, um, But but yeah, a young, a young club where you can do some things differently and Leon Cameron was the coach who I played with at Richmond and knew, knew quite well so um, had, some, had some really strong relationships there. Um, so yeah, we had some, had some bit of success along the way but not quite the ultimate again.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, obviously like, they got pretty close and uh, they're still obviously going to keep knocking on the door for a while, but um, mate, you know, you would have had like a lot of young fellas there coming through. You would have had a few older heads coming through, Heath Shaw and those sorts of guys. Did you notice any, any and that, that's the other thing being in Sydney, like a lot of young fellas and that would have been away from their natural homes and environments. Like, did you notice or were you, were you aware of any mental health child challenges that were sort of going on at the time?
1: Yeah, I think with a, with a, group of 45 players um you're always going to have some you know the the odds or the numbers would suggest that there's going to be some there with some with some mental health problems and i mean again i'm no expert on the on, on the on the area but mental health is a is a spectrum and you've got you know flourishing up one end and depression up the other and and you know and i imagine People fluctuate along that spectrum, so at any one time, after a you know a good win and playing well, or a bad loss and playing poorly and getting injured or whatever, we're all going to need some help along the way. So um, you need to make sure you've got the right support there with a player development manager and a psych, and and also the really strong relationships that they have with their with their coaches and um, and, and administration as well. So, like most clubs, um, yeah, there was there was good support there. So if you had some. You had some problems you picked the problems up pretty early uh, and were able to put them at the right point them in the right direction and the resources around that through both the afl the afl players players association and the and the club means that you've got you know, got access to some pretty good people
0: yeah you think back about playing at golden square and and richmond and that like you know, not nothing. Uh, of its kind like there is now. You know, and um, the poor coach uh, would have had a lot on his on his shoulders. Danny Danny Frawley, for example, like you know, probably doing the role of three or four people, and your coaches before that. Uh, you know, doing the the role of maybe five or six people. So certainly, uh, certainly changed. And you know, the, the the actual leader Leon can work on his on his craft primarily without having to worry about managing. Uh, other issues and, and mental health challenges and so forth too but you know at the same time you, you look at Leon you look at uh, Mick Malthouse or you look at uh, Kevin Sheedy or someone like that they are very worldly and very well-rounded and, and they are they are really coming at a lot of their life from their heart you know and I believe that's um that's the secret of a good leader to be able to have that ability to be able to just sort of observe you know, things uh, as they, they come along, as they go on, to be able to talk to someone compassionately when they need that compassion because that, that helps raise uh, an individual up uh, straight away without taking a textbook approach, I think. And um, you think back about some of the, the the people in your life, whether it be through school or footy or whatever, some of the the, the real people that do um, mean a lot to us are, are just very, um, you know, open, honest um vibrant um you know well well-rounded individuals and um you know living living in the country as, as you know like yourself like some of the people that were really uh, that really stood out for me were, were were not only men but also women that were just like completely giving all the time you know they were they were coming from their heart space and they, I reckon that's the the missing link in leadership a lot you know we don't actually see um that in many individuals, it's very uh, results driven and, uh, you know, that focus is always on, on the outcome, but not actually appreciating the individuals uh, that you're associated with as much and also the, um, the journey that you're on and, you know, to have a, a person running a team or an organisation uh, that's got that ability, I think is very unique and something that really needs to be concentrated on more and more.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you touched on the the change at Richmond before. Um, and I remember there was a game in 2017, which we we didn't know at the time what 17 was going to be for the Tigers, but um, we're at the Giants and we we beat them by a point. I think they and I, I think they'd lost. I think they'd lost the last game by less than a kick, and maybe maybe and then maybe the next week they lost by a kick anyway. But I. I ran into actually I ran into David Asprey after the game, um, and I felt a bit bad because they were the better team on the day, but we just pipped them, and there was a score review that went the Giants' way, and all that sort of stuff. But ran into David, and uh, he was really really upbeat, and I thought, yeah, I, I thought at the time, gee, gee, that's odd that he's so upbeat after doing you know, a heartbreaking loss and everything like that. And I remember asking him a couple couple of years later, well, why were you so upbeat? And he said. Oh, Damien had just expressed how proud of them he was, you know, for how they played and everything like that. So that's
0: mm. what
1: he was taking into account was the, you know, the, the people, the journey they were on, the process that they'd gone through. And at the end of the day, there was one fingertip between winning and losing and they were away from home and against a pretty good side. So he was pretty happy, you know. Mm. So I think that was probably the biggest change from, um, you know, early early Richmond 10, 11, 12, 13, which was still, Damien was certainly on the right track to then, Getting the absolute most out of them was to um, allow them to express themselves, uh, focus on the positives, and, and 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 thoroughly enjoy the journey as opposed to worrying about the the end result all the time. So, and that was a that was an example that I saw at the time, which you know, as I said, that was probably round ten or eleven, and three or four months later, they're they're holding up the premiership cup in the middle of the MCG, which um, was an, an unbelievable achievement.
0: That's right, and there's a big lesson just there for for any junior coach, for any. Team leader for any business leader, you know, to to not be critical. And you think back when we, you were playing, like I observed Richmond, uh, you know, from afar, you were copying it all the time. And you know, guys like, like Matthew Richardson, um, I watched him changes as, uh, as his career went on. But there was always there always seemed to be a bit of um, you know judgment and so forth. But really, where Richmond changed was they actually started to come. Uh, at their at their lives and their game with a sense of joy and compassion and gratitude and all those sorts of things, you know. So if you get a result that doesn't go your way, there's no point, you know, swimming in the in the in the in the soup of um, you know what could have been. Okay, that's what it is. Yep, let's get on with it. You yeah, might have a bit of a review and, and you move on. And um, um, yeah, obviously the leadership had changed there significantly. And you know, I guess with Damien harwick what I saw was a lot of frustration earlier on but then sort of 2015 16 that real heart-based change started to come in and and obviously that was evident with regards to the results that they've um, been able to achieve but i just think his leadership style um, went um, you know from 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 a to b or from 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 basically 1 to 100 really quickly because he started to approach his life differently as an individual, and that obviously helped the other individuals around him. Um, you know, feel safe uh, in its essence in that environment that they were valued and supported, and they could be vulnerable and all those sorts of things that a lot of young guys, you know, maybe are afraid to do or aren't confident enough to do. And once you see a leader sort of you know doing that, and obviously it's, it's evident now with what's happened with Dale Asbury that um, that you know we can be um, you know vulnerable and we can be. Uh, able to express ourselves freely as uh, as men without without fear of judgment comparison or criticism i guess yeah
1: yeah I think um you mentioned Shane McCurry before as well. And I think he might have come on board in 2016 too. Mm, so yeah. there was a, I think he might have come at the right time. And Ben, ben Crow, who's been talked about quite a bit as well uh, through some of the mentoring and coaching that he's done. So mm. I think it all just made a, you know, they've got a brilliant CEO and Brendan Gale. So I think it all just came together at the right time for
0: them. Mm, that's right. But see, I, I guess, you know, what, what there is also in that is Brendan Gale was, a, was a, an opportunist that, that really saw that there was a gap you know, he saw that there was something missing and he was open and honest and available enough to listen to guys like Shane and Ben uh, that had a, a program and, a, and a, a system that could actually like make a difference in that environment. And I guess some leaders in organisations, they're very stuck in their in their thinking. And you know, this is what I really want to try and do with regards to helping, um, you know, businesses and organisations, but also clubs actually understand that, you know, this is the way forward to be able to really embrace... Um, uh you know, i suppose the the untouched things uh in, in men's health and well-being because you know a lot of us are still afraid to to talk about you know the things that, that might make us uh feel feel like we're men you know we're we're, we're a bit uh uh vulnerable sorry uh, you sorry are stubborn to be compassionate and vulnerable and we become judgmental and criticism are critical but we're talking about the two different levels of consciousness here wayne like you know the high levels of consciousness and then the lower levels of consciousness which yeah, you know, shame, fear, guilt, um, judgment, comparison, all those sorts of things which are sort of brought into our game as young fellows, and then it's really hard to uh, to flip that to to become, you know, a little bit more compassionate and kind and, and vulnerable and all these sorts of things, and it, it does take a real shift for that to uh, to become part of your, your makeup, I guess. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep,
1: yep. Sorry, mate, I don't have much to add for that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But you, you, I guess you agree. Uh, um, I suppose. Uh, yeah, and that's that's something that I, I just think. Uh, you know, we've got a really good opportunity and moment in time now to start to embrace these sorts of emotions and behaviors more than the the ones that can, you know, take our awareness um, the other way and uh, and maybe affect our our mental well being and clarity. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, as I said, I think the yeah. My, I mean the, the areas or the, the organisations that I've been involved with in the football um, uh, realm are they, doing that you know far better. And coaches have always been amateur psychologists. That's whether that's you know back to Jock McHale at Collingwood in the 30s or 40s or whatever it was, and up to Damien Hardwick now. But it's just probably the way the way they go about it is a um, is a bit more. Is a bit more rounded, and we've all we've all become more educated in the areas that you're talking about. So, whilst um, whilst they mightn't be able to string the words together like you've been able to, I think with most coaches now have got that feel that they need to allow their players to, to express themselves. Some of the you know things they do on the field and celebrations and haircuts and things like that they wouldn't have been you know wouldn't have been allowed in the 80s and 90s. But now we look at it and go, well, that's just the way you know that's the way the life is
0: that's true and you wouldn't have seen many guys with tats uh, back in the day either but now it's pretty well common uh common practice to to do that you know so uh yeah we've certainly seen a lot of a lot of uh, change out of our 48 49 50 years that we've been on this planet i guess and you know I'm, I'm really keen to hear what the future holds for you it sounds like you're a little bit uncertain still but yeah you're, you're obviously in a role now where you are still involved with sport and footy and that's obviously your passion so what are your plans moving forward you just sort of not really, uh, really, really pushing it. You're just going to let things evolve for you.
1: Yeah, I've um, yeah settled in Sydney. My, my wife's got a good job, and a couple of girls at school. So happy here, mate. Got a, a role with Sydney Uni Football Club as a director of football, so I help out their football program there. I've bought a couple of gyms, uh, so running those, and still keep a bit of an eye on the footy, right for the age. Every now and then, just to just to keep a keep. A, an interest in the footy, and I really enjoy the writing side of it. So I'm uh, I'm pretty happy, Matt. Pretty happy, and pretty content.
0: That's good. Who's your tip for this year's uh, Brownlow Medal and also the uh, the flag?
1: Oh, Marcus Bontempelli for the Brownlow, and I think the Cats. Yeah, uh, okay. I think the uh, Cats have Cats have got the list there, and adding adding Jeremy Cameron to their forward line uh, is going to help. So yeah, I probably think Geelong
0: hmm you'd know jeremy cameron pretty well obviously so uh yeah obviously big rap being a western victorian boy too so uh yeah it'd be good to see how that all goes
1: yeah yeah it's been a um, it's been a really interesting year obviously with all the changes and everything like that but um the actual footy on the field's been pretty good i reckon and 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 very very even as you go into as we go into the final series uh, it could be four or five that could win it which is a Mm. good good state for the competition to be in
0: i agree that's right mate it's not like the one-sided days of uh Over a few years back, it's become more even, which is awesome, and it keeps people interested and engaged, and that's what we need at the moment when we've got so many distractions in life to be able to have something that we can pay attention to, which is going to give us a bit of joy. So Wayne, um, really grateful for your time, mate. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be lots of people uh, that get a lot from from our our conversation and uh, certainly touch on a lot of areas, which I think will be helpful, um, you know, for... For, for awareness, but also for mental health, mate. So um, really, really appreciate you coming along and having a chat. Great to chat to you,
1: Aaron. Good on you, mate. Have a good day.
0: Guys, thanks for tuning in. Really uh, interesting, insightful conversation there. Uh, there's going to be a lot more come from this when I get to have a chat with Shane about Richmond and, and so forth soon. But, uh, yeah, stay tuned with that. There's, uh, there's lots to learn with regards to uh understanding. Um, uh, obviously, what Richmond done, but or did, but uh, and is doing, but also what we can actually implement in our own lives to to help us become more aware and conscious and uh, compassionate uh, to ourselves and others, which they've had so much success doing. So, um, yeah, grateful for you tuning in. Uh, if you'd like to reach out to me, uh, provide uh, some feedback. That'd be awesome. Support at backmind.com.au. Check out the website at backmine.com.au. Some really uh, terrific people coming on over the next few days, so stay tuned. Thank you. Cheers.